Welcome to Who Knows Real Estate, episode 15, 150 turnkey rentals sold out of state. I'm Kevin. And I'm Jim. And today, our guest, Antoine Martel from Martel Turnkey, has flipped and sold 150 turnkey rentals at the age of 24 and just acquired over 70 multifamily units. Here it is. So today we have Antoine Martel from Martel Turnkey. Antoine, thanks for coming on today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Would you mind giving our, our listeners a little intro and, and about you in real estate? Sure. So I'm my name is Antoine Martel. I'm a 24-year-old real estate investor. I live in Los Angeles. Uh, I started investing around five years ago. My Actually, my last year at university, I decided that I didn't want to go and work for somebody else. I wanted to work for myself. I wanted to do my own thing. So I started re- researching about this uh, real estate thing. My brother actually took me and my dad to like a real estate seminar. We learned about flipping houses. Once we learned about flipping houses, we tried to do it in LA and in San Francisco. And we realized that we were uh, poor compared to these people that were flipping houses yeah. with the 40 grand in our bank. It was nothing to get a, you know, buy a million dollar house and renovate it for 200 and sell it for, you know, one and a half. So we quickly uh, changed tactics and we started, you know, investing out of state. And my last year at university, I, after a couple of years of learning and testing a bunch of different stuff, that last year at university at LMU, I learned about this out of state thing and just started networking my ass off with a bunch of people in LA and really just like talking to them. Hey, how did you invest out of state? What are you doing out of state? How did you start? How did you buy the first deal? How did you fund it? Started learning from a bunch of different people. And then uh, my last semester took my dad's money, bought a house, renovated it, rented it out in Memphis, Tennessee from LA, from my dorm room. Then uh, refinance it out, gave my dad all his money back. And I was like, Hey, I can keep doing this after I graduate if you want me to. And I can keep growing the family portfolio. And, um, he was like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. And I was like, just give me like six months, just pay for my stuff for six months. Let me try to figure this thing out. I moved in with my friends, super cheap and affordable for LA. (laughs) And, um, then started doing it and, uh, graduated in May. By the end of the year, we had like 10 single family homes in Memphis. And I was like, holy shit, this is actually, this is actually working. You know, we have a now small little family portfolio, et cetera. And so now everybody in the family started, you know, at dinner meetings and stuff like, or dinner, dinners with friends and family, whatever, we started talking about what we were doing. And from that, there was a lot of people who became interested in doing what we were doing. So they were like, Hey, how do we invest out of state? How do we buy rental properties? We hate the stock market. How can we get involved in this kind of thing? And we were like, Hey, well, we have some properties that we, um, that we haven't refinanced yet. Do you want to buy them? And we'll sell them to you. We'll make a profit, but we'll give you our whole team on the ground. And so that with that, I made a little janky little website called Martel family realty just with WordPress and, uh, started collecting a bunch of email addresses from friends and family would Tell them, hey, we have a new property up on the website. Go check it out. And boom, we started selling properties through that silly little website. That then grew into what's now Martel Turnkey. We made it a legit business. Yeah. And now that company sells uh, hundred and over 100 turnkey rental properties every single year. Wow. So you guys did like 100 yeah. last year? So last year we did 85. Exactly. Our goal was 100. And then this year our goal is 120. So like 10 houses a month. That's phenomenal, man. So like, that's an amazing story of you getting into real estate. Your first deal, what was that, like five years ago? 
Yeah, that was although four that was ago? in 2017. Okay, uh, just two, just two or three years, I guess now, but two, yeah, three years ago, and it was in yeah, like January. Oh yeah, so I guess right at three years ago now. Yeah, and can you just walk us through at like a high level what that economics of the first deal looked like? I'm guessing you sure. bought it and rehabbed it for that 40 grand you had to work with, right? Yeah, so like bought it for like 35 or 32,000 bucks, renovated it for like five to seven grand. So it really only needed like new carpet and new interior paint and like some like landscaping stuff. So we did that and then we rented it out for like 750 a month or 700 bucks a month. Uh, so we're all in for 40 grand rents for 700. So the cash flow was really good. Then we went to the bank and we refinanced it out for at like 55 grand. So it appraised for 55 grand. And then we got a loan for like 70 or 75%. So we pretty much were able to pull out almost all of our money yeah. from that deal. And then so and kind still of like cash the burr. Flow. Yeah, it's still cash flow. So kind of like the burr. And then I had all my money back. I had a property and we used like a local credit union. So the local credit union, then you don't have any like seasoning stuff or anything like that. So it just made everything go really quickly. I love it. And then you just rinsed and recycled that money and did that until you had uh, enough where your family started saying like, hey, I would like this. Can you do it for me? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. awesome, man. Because well, my, my mom's always been an entrepreneur like her entire life. And I've always like been with her along that process because I was very entrepreneurial too and probably got the bug from her. And then my dad has always been the one, you know, working a full-time job, always wanted to have his own business. He hated working for somebody else, right? Yeah. So like you you hang out with your mom all day during the summer working on her business. And then dad comes home at night and he's like, fuck this job and I don't want to do this job anymore and blah, 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 right? So um, and I, you know, all the stress and stuff from like working for somebody else and having to like yeah, be be in the office space with other other people that he didn't want to be with or be around and just, you know, having a bad experience. So it was kind of like at a very young age showing me like, damn, I don't want to go work for some work and do this job and then come home at night and like have nothing to do, first of all, because there's no point of doing anything except for watching TV and having dinner or something like that. And then, and then just being upset from working for somebody else and working with people yeah. that you don't enjoy, you know? Yeah, I get it. And can you like give our listeners for people who aren't familiar with what turnkey investing is like, what is that? What's that mean? Sure. So turnkey investing or what my turnkey company does is we go buy properties, renovate them, rent them out, put a property management company in place and then resell them up on our website. We help our clients get financing, insurance. We give them the property management company. So it's somebody can come in, you know, imagine somebody working full time and having some money saved up. They want to get into rental properties. We help them with every step of the process to grow that portfolio out of state, which is the biggest pain point, but it's where the, you know, makes the most sense cash flow wise. I love it. So they're, I mean, literally buying an asset turnkey that's cash flowing day one. Exactly. It comes with a tenant in place already and with property management in place. So they really just buy, you know, put the property under contract and they normally for 30 days and then we we connect them with a lender and they pretty much just work. Their only job is to go and get financing and get approved. And yeah. so you know, we do a little bit of homework on our buyers before we accept an offer from them, et cetera. But, you know, yeah, 90% of our clients just go use the lender that we recommend to them. They go get financing. The appraisal comes back from the bank. If everything checks out, then it closes a, you know, a week or so later. Yeah, I love it, man. That's I mean, I could definitely see how it's valuable to someone who's in an expensive market or they just don't have time and they've got, you know, they've got a very, you know, stable job or they own a company and they're just like, I want to buy five this year. Turnkey exactly. makes it easy. 
You know? Exactly. Yeah, it makes it easy, and like it's not a, it's not really a long term solution. Just like wholesaling is not really like a long term business model. But you know, you to retire on rental properties, you need a lot of rentals, right? Unless you're living very cheaply. I've only heard of a couple of stories where people have actually retired off buying turnkey, and they they left the country and went to Thailand so they could live on the three thousand yeah. bucks. You know what I'm saying? Live so, like a king. <laughs> exactly for real. Yeah, he was like renting a a penthouse for seven hundred bucks a month. Yeah. So. I think, I think it's just a great way for people to get started. I still think it is a great way for people to get started in real estate, especially with the way things are right now with all the information galore. I think that a lot of people just need to get started. And, you know, it's yeah. a very affordable way to get into the game with just 20 grand. You can start growing your rental property portfolio. I mean, I don't see any other way of doing it. There's a lot of talks about like the burst strategy, but people don't realize how much cash that takes. And if it doesn't take your cash, then it's a lot of risk because you got to go to these hard money lenders who, yep. you know, are wrapping up your entire life into one tiny little loan um, pretty much if you mess up. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely understand. What would you say are like some of the cons maybe? Because there's a lot of pros to turnkey, like all the homework's done for you. You should still do your own due diligence. Like, absolutely. Yeah. But it's yeah. already got a tenant in there. It's already had the, you know, repairs necessary to get it livable and rentable. It's got the property management. It's got all that in place. What are some of the cons that you think like people should consider of turnkey yeah. versus other? So like one of the cons and what people are like looking for a lot now is like equity in deals or value add. So turnkey doesn't have any of that, right? So you're buying a house for 80 grand. It's going to appraise for 80,000 bucks, right? So you're buying something that there's no added value. There's no built-in equity. There's none of this. You have to buy that property with a long-term 30-year vision of just collecting your 200, 250 bucks a month for the next 30 years. That's what your mindset needs to be if you're going to buy turnkey. A lot of people like, the reason why I say that is because a lot of people have phone calls with me and they're like, hey, so I'm going to buy this. And then like, I'm going to uh, increase the rent on it from like 800 bucks that you rented out to like 950. And then I'm going to go and do a refinance. And I'm like, dude, no, it's not going to make sense. It's not going to be worth your time. It's not going to be worth the money to like get the rent up to that point. Um, you just need to buy this property and, you know, dump your 20 grand into it and let it just sit there and grow pretty yeah. much. So that's the other thing about turnkey rentals. It, it is, while it may be the, one of the lesser cash intensive ways to get into real estate, it still is cash intensive because it takes a long time to get that money back out that 20,000 yeah. bucks, for example. So to get started, it does take 20 grand, but it's not like a flip where in six months or nine months, you're going to have 25 grand back, right? So it doesn't really work in that way. It is a very long-term investment. So it needs to be, you know, you need to go into that investment with that long-term mindset uh, in place already. Yeah, I get it. Can we dive into a little bit about like out-of-state investing and how you've selected the markets you're in, both on the turnkey side and on your personal investing as well? Sure. So, well, personal investing and turnkey business, both the same markets. So we still like all the apartment buildings that I bought last year, which is like 71 units um, are in Memphis, Tennessee. And wow. then we used to do a lot of single family homes in Memphis, Tennessee. We've then we've now since moved all of those investments to Cleveland, Ohio, where we're doing everything in Cleveland, Ohio for the single family homes. But the way that I choose my markets is back in college, I made a list of like of the top 200 markets in the US. And so I would look at like population, job growth, population growth, major employers, diversity of workforce, you know, all those things. And I made just a like Google sheet and put all the information in there. And then, you know, it kind of just, 
create different filters for different things. So like you can do stuff like if you take the median uh, price of a home in a zip in a city yeah. and the median rent, then you can figure out, okay, what's the rent what's to purchase the, more or yeah, less. rent to purchase ratio, et cetera. And you want to have the highest rent to purchase ratio. And so you can filter out certain things like that. And yeah. with that, Memphis, Cleveland, Birmingham, and St. Louis, which is like the four markets that I started with, were at the very top of that list. And, um, you know, then I just started trying to build the team is the next step. So once you figure out some markets that work for you that you like based on just the economics, then it's like, okay, can I go and build a solid team in one of these markets? And then once you build that solid team, then, okay, use them and leverage those people to figure out which neighborhood in that market now you want to invest and then once you have that, then you can figure out the whole financing aspect as well. So like now that I know the price points that I have to work with, how can I fund these deals? So should I use hard money? Should I use JV funds? Should I raise private money? Should I use my own money? You know, like there's a bunch of different ways and aspects that you can yeah. go about it. But that's kind of like the process to to build that team out of state. And yeah, it takes a long time. I mean, it took me six months of researching and like team building to to go into Memphis, Tennessee once I knew that out of state was the way to go. Yeah, no, you you mentioned a lot of really important and great things. Uh, one of them that I think a lot of people overlook is how you select your market. It's not just based on the return you can get there. Like you're making sure it's got population growth, diversity of jobs, pretty stable like income and property values. I see a lot of other investors who see like a great return or a great cap rate and they're like, oh my God, let's jump on it. And the market's declining 3% a year, like population, people are flooding, like flooding away. Um, And like that, that might be a good return that year, but it's going to go down and down and down. So that's awesome. You guys look at that. Yeah. We're like, so like Cleveland, Ohio actually has had a population decline the last like 30 years. But as long as you know the story as to why the people are leaving, then it kind of makes things a little bit. So like just dive into the information. So like, Research is a big thing with with anything. I mean, with anything that you want to jumpstart, you're going to have to spend the time on the research aspect of it. So, so like Cleveland population has been declining, but the reason why is because it used to be like the steel capital of the country, right? So like steel production, steel manufacturing, steel warehouses, et cetera, were all in Cleveland, Ohio. And that used to be like the biggest industry back in the 1960s. Yeah. Now all those people that used to work there and who have retired and are on pensions or whatever, um, they're looking to leave Cleveland because of the cold weather or, you know, the home. They don't they want to leave Cleveland and move to like a Florida, for example, a more warmer climate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the older population of Cleveland back from the you know steel boom is how is leaving Cleveland, Ohio. But when you look at the data and look at the population growth or decline based on age group, you'll see that actually the millennials, the 20 to 35, the 20 to 40 age range is actually moving in and increasing. So it's just people are leaving faster than people are moving in. But eventually I think it's going to catch up because that's interesting. As these people are leaving, then these new people are coming in and they're, you know, doing cool, unique stuff like like building tiny little neighborhoods or building, you know, little centers of town where there's coffee shops and pizza places and they're all local and craft and breweries and blah, blah, blah. So like those kinds of neighborhoods are now popping up in Cleveland. And I think it's because of that, you know, you have all these young people who are, who are looking to move to a more affordable market. They come to Cleveland and they're like, Hey, it would be great if I had a yoga studio here. Like they had it in Austin, Texas when I lived there or LA or San Francisco. 
And now I want to do that here. And oh, wow, I can actually afford to do something and make yeah. something happen here. So, you know, when you go and drive around Cleveland, you're like, holy shit, this, you know, an area may be rough, rough, rough. And then you turn a corner, you're like, holy shit, this is really nice. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff up and coming here and new yeah. restaurants and blah, blah, blah. So that's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah, there's like a there's more more to the story than just what like the, the cover exactly. says. So yeah. can we dive into like how do you manage renovations from L.A.? In yeah, good four question. different markets across the country. <laughs> so it all comes down to the people. So that's why like taking six months or three months to build that team on the ground is the most important thing. So uh, to find the right people that you're going to trust. So, you know, you have to find a property management company if you're going to do rentals. You have to find a project manager. So as those people are the people that actually manage all my projects and all my GCs for me. So that's going to be the most important person that you're going to have to find. It could be an agent. It could be somebody that works at the property management company. It could be some young gun you find on Craigslist who uh, is trying to be a realtor but just doesn't have a team or anything built yet and you want to pay them to just manage your projects and you kind of educate them on that end. Um, so there's many different ways to find that person that's going to work. But that's how I manage stuff from so far away is just finding a project manager who then over that person then oversees everything that we're doing and all the rehab projects, making sure everything is yeah. being completed so that when we do send draws to the contractor, that stuff is actually being done and we're not sending money, sending money to, you know, some random guy's bank account who's not even on the project. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like that definitely never happens. So your project manager that you hire Obviously, you're at a scale now where you can probably hire them full time easily yeah. and keep them very yeah. busy. How did you start out compensating them and keeping like yeah. balancing that? So the first actually everybody that we hired at the beginning was somebody that worked at the property management company mm -hmm. um, who was also like a realtor. So like most property management companies in the U.S., depending on the state, need to have licensed agents in order to sign leases, right? So that person normally like works for the property management company, does some buying and selling on the side, et cetera. So they're kind of like are multifaceted. And a lot of them will have experience already with like flipping houses or managing construction or they'll know GCs, right? Yeah. Or general contractors. So those are the people that normally manage my projects. How do I compensate them? Uh, when you're first starting out, you can just, we do this today still, is just pay them on a project basis. So every time we close a house, hey, Johnny, you're going to manage this project for us. Uh, we're going to pay you $500 on the, when we buy the property and you're going to manage that project. So you're just going to make 500 bucks up front. We're going to pay you up front. But, you know, you got to incentivize them and tell them that, you know, hey, if you can, uh, you know, the sooner you get this project done, the sooner we can wrap this up, then the next project will come. So make sure to stay on top of the guys and make yeah. sure that they're doing stuff quickly so that we can keep scaling it. We're... We're not going to buy any more projects until this one is done. So, you know, scale up slowly too. And that's what we did. So pay somebody 500 bucks, they'll complete a project. Everything checks out. Everything works well. We sell it. All right, Johnny, we're buying two houses now. Here's the two houses. We're paying you now a thousand bucks, you know, for the next two weeks to manage these projects. And then after you finish these, we're going to buy four. So he's just seeing dollar signs in his head, right? So, yeah. you know, now we pay anywhere from like 500 to sometimes a thousand bucks to manage projects. And, you know, some of these guys are managing five to 10 projects a month. So, you know, they're making. Yeah, it's a great know, side money to drive yeah. over and check in on the project and make sure stuff's yep. getting done. Exactly. That's fantastic. And like, it's hard to find contractors in your local market. How do you find good contractors that are good, you know, mostly reliable and affordable in yep. other markets? 
Yep. So never have I ever looked for a contractor on the residential side. Uh, on the multifamily side, you have to kind of find these like special people. So I've looked for people there, but residential side doing the GC work at these, at these single family homes, I've never looked for a contractor. So the way that I do find them is all through referral. So start by building your team of agents, property managers, escrow company, those kinds of people who have mm-hmm. been in the business normally have been in the business in a long time, especially like property management companies who have been in the business for 20 or 30 years. They already have a whole list. They already know every contractor. They already have a whole list of contractors that are good to work with because imagine if some the ceiling caves in at one of their properties, who are they going to call to fix it, right? They're, they're going to call a general contractor or somebody to go out there and fix it and they want to make sure it gets done the right way, right? They don't want to have to come back in six months and refix everything. So property management companies are and people who work for the property management companies asking them for referrals about which contractors to use. Many of them will just have a Rolodex of people to try out and test. And you know, you start with one contractor, does a great job, boom, onto the next yeah. deal. You know, slowly scale it up as well. Yeah, it's it's important to keep those guys around and keep them busy yeah. and pay them quick. Yep. That's what we've seen. Exactly. Yeah, and being yeah, and being easy to work with and not like haggling them for like if the if the numbers work, just buy the damn thing and pay the guy the con pay the contractor, even if it may be overpriced, I don't care. Like just just get it done and pay it. He's gonna want to do more projects with you because you're gonna be so easy to work. Oh, Antoine just signs the signs of the bill. He doesn't even care. As long as the number makes sense for Antoine, he's you know, he's gonna sign it, he's gonna do it. And you know, they may think that they're taking advantage of me or whatever. I don't give a shit. Just keep taking advantage of me. It means you're going to keep coming back and are keep going to do good work because yeah. maybe I may be overpaying. That's the thing. A lot of new investors who try to get into the game, they, they're, they always like try to like make sure they're not getting screwed. Like if, if your numbers work and the guy's going to do good work, I don't care what the price is. Just get it done. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people look for the cheapest option and that ends up costing them because yeah. try managing the cheapest contractors or subs directly. And it's going to yeah. be three times as long as it should, twice as expensive. You're going to have to redo yep. the work. You know, you know the whole, the whole exactly. story. What are some like the biggest lessons you've learned um, in like managing the renovations out of state? We've actually been blessed with like really good contractors and project managers. So there hasn't been much of an issue for us. I would just say make sure you find all your contractors through referrals. That's been the West way. Anytime that I've like on the multifamily deals, I went and like tried searching for my own contractor. That's when I've really gotten screwed. So I would always just recommend finding finding people through referrals and making yeah. sure that they've done you know an excessive amount of projects for this person um, before you do hire them. Because being out of state, you just want to take the the safest and and safest option, no matter what the price is. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you do? Do you like draw schedules? I'm guessing you don't pay the contractor 100 up front. No, we pay contract 25 to 50% up front. And then the project manager, pretty much the contractor talks to the project manager and says, hey, it's time for another draw. And then so pretty much project manager now just says, hey, draws, you know, draws approved or whatever. Good to go. Got it. And then so we send the funds. So, yeah. Awesome. Can we talk a little bit about like the more on the investing side? Like what does your investment criteria look like? Like what are the key things you look for? For single family? Yeah. So for single family, a couple of different things. So first of all, it has to be in our neighborhoods that we like, that we have, you know, that we've done research on, that we like working in, et cetera. And like, if you look at like Cleveland, Ohio, there's only like three or four zip codes that we actually like a lot and we do a lot of work in. There's a lot of zip codes you want to stay away from. So that's the biggest thing. Then really just knowing the numbers, right? So like 
we have data now, which we use that is not like not public. So we know like the last 12 projects we did and this zip code sold for this and the rehab was this. So when we're making an offer on a property, we can kind of just aggregate all the data and make an offer that way. Right. So it's kind of like an advantage we have to other people, but you really want to know what, what the property is going to be worth. So the ARV then normally now I can kind of look at photos of a property and kind of estimate what the renovations are going to be. But yeah. let's just say you make up a number for a single family home in Cleveland, Ohio, 1200 square feet. It's probably going to be anywhere from like 10 to $20,000 for a renovation. That's not excessive, right? So normal price in that range. So let's say you put the rehab at 15 grand, you give yourself some profit, which is like 15% margin, let's say. And then that kind of gets you really close to what the purchase price should be. And so it's also a volume game, right? So let's say you find 10 properties, you just make 10 offers, boom, with those numbers. Then you wait for all those numbers to come back uh, and see if you got anything under contract. If you get something under contract, then you send your contractor to yeah. just verify all the numbers. So that's kind of how we do it. I mean, with a little bit more due diligence, but uh, you know, on a, if somebody wanted to get started tomorrow, I mean, you could literally just go on Redfin and just call the listing agent and just make blind offers, get something under contract. And then you'll slowly learn over time. Yeah, exactly. You'll slowly learn over time what, because there's no risk to put it under. People are, you know, when they get started are scared to put stuff under contract, but they're scared to make offers, (laughs) let alone get it under contract. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Like what if they say no? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So where do you find deals? MLS is still like probably 50%. 25% from wholesalers and then 25% from pocket listings from realtors. Got it. When you guys are making offers on listed properties, how many offers does it take before you get something on our contract? Probably four. Four. That's pretty good. Yeah, really good. Yeah, that's awesome. I expected it to be like 15 or 20. Yeah, that's how it is in LA. But in LA, the flippers here, they make 20 offers to get one. But we, you know, we're, we're working in areas that are not as desirable as LA. Mm -hmm. We also offer all cash. We also offer, you know, closing super quick. People know our names when we make an offer now. So it's like, or they've worked with us in the past. So like our success rate goes up over time. Yeah. How do you, like what you mentioned before the, you only buy a couple zip codes in like Cleveland. How do you balance the nicer neighborhoods that are more expensive with lower returns for like your end investor? versus the more affordable like fringe areas how do you find that sweet spot in between yeah so the sweet spot that we found in cleveland cleveland is one of the few cities where this actually makes sense which is why we've been kind of been doubling down on cleveland because the only place i've found it ever worked is that b-class nicer neighborhood you just spoke about is eighty thousand dollars in cleveland and uh, yeah in any other market in the u.s memphis tennessee it's 125 dallas it's 175 LA, it's uh, 1.5 million. Uh, <laughs> so like St. Louis, Missouri, it's 125. Uh, like, and I've gone to all these markets in all these cities, right? So Birmingham, Alabama, it's 150, 125. So Cleveland, Ohio is the only place that I found where you can get that B-class white collar neighborhood that rents out for 900 to 1,000 bucks for 80 grand still. So that's why we've kind of been doubling down on, on Cleveland for that mm. fact that we can find that safe return, but that safe return is still at 15% and it's still in that B-class neighborhood where in other markets, it'd be an 11 or 12% return and it would cost you 125,000 yep. bucks. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's super interesting. And, you know, just over time we've, as we've gone to all these different markets, it's kind of been like a, you know, 
right in our face the whole time that holy shit you can buy the same product over here with the same rents i can get it over here for yeah you know a huge discount and it's only it's a matter of time before those prices just go up and match the rest of the the u.s because you know if somebody's now in memphis and they you know they want to move or whatever and they're like oh i can get the same house in cleveland for 80 grand and now they move to to cleveland because it can get the same house in the same kind of neighborhood for way cheaper of a price i love it man what are some of your deal breakers when you look at properties both on i like to hear both on the houses like single family and you know duplexes etc and then also on the larger deals like the apartments yeah a ton so like we try to set as much no's as we can so like whenever we're looking at a deal you know if it's next to like a retail area no if it's the last house on a street no if it's uh you know, across the street from a school, typically we say no, which sometimes it we've done a couple of houses, but norm, you know, the more, the more no's that you can set up to back out of a deal, the, just the faster you can get through volume of deals. And instead of like diving into the numbers and then you, you, you dive into the numbers, do all this math on a property and then you go to the street view and it's, you know, next to a prison, you're like, well, we should have just looked at the prison first before we started running all these numbers. So you waste a lot of time. So the more no's we can set up. And I would say it's either, the no's are mostly based on location and then also just like huge renovation items. So like location-based no's are probably the first thing and easiest thing because you can just go on street view. Yeah. The the interior of a house and the no's that we come up with are going to be like foundation issues, fire issues, fire damage. Those are probably like the the, the biggest no's that we have um, that are going to be publicized because – you can get into a house and then it's like, oh, the whole plumbing stack needs to be replaced, but you would have never known that. Sometimes the owners don't even know that either. So I would say those are the biggest things for the single family home. For multifamily, again, location is very important, even more important than the single family because you want to have some some street view and street uh, visibility from the road to help find tenants, et cetera. That's probably the biggest thing. And then the other no's for me for like multifamily is just going to be like no value add component. So like if the market rents are 800 and the current rents are 750, then that's a no for me because I can't, there's a little bit of a spread on the rents, but it's not enough to make it worth it for me to like buy it, rehab it, and then refinance it out and pull on my cash. There's just not enough value add that I can provide. So, you know, I may buy the building for a million bucks and increase the rents 50 bucks per unit. And the building may be worth 1.2 million bucks, but great. It's good on paper, but I can't do anything with that 200 grand because it's not enough for me to do a full refinance and pay 10 grand to go to the bank to do a refi. I get it. So what we look for in the multifamily is, you know, rents at 500 bucks that I can increase to 800 bucks. Now I have a $300 spread. Even if I have to spend 10, 15,000 bucks per unit, my value, my building goes from a million bucks to 2 million bucks. And now I have a huge number that I can go to the bank and it makes sense to do a refinance. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like what, so you've done, I don't know, 150, 200 houses at this point properties. Yeah. What are some lessons? And then 71. 71 71 apartments on top of that. Yeah. Holy cow. What are some lessons you've learned in buying like that many properties? Like not many, uh, like 24 year olds have done that. (laughs) That's like 220 units and counting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and some of those are duplexes too. So it was probably 300, probably 300 close to it. What have I learned? Is that what you said? Yeah. Like what are some lessons and mistakes you've, you know, you wouldn't do again? Yeah, I would just say take it slow and do, you know, one house at a time and slowly, I mean, take it slow, I guess is wrong because I only bought my first thing in 
three years ago. So I've been going pretty fast, <laughs> yeah. but I would say that just the most important thing is just finding that team on the ground. That's it. Like if you're investing on a state, that's what you should, I'd rather you have spend a whole year just finding that right team on the ground than getting into a deal or a couple of deals with, with guys that you don't see a long-term relationship with. It's just not going to be worth your time. It's going to be total headaches and disaster once shit hits the fan on any of your projects, which it's going to happen. So the most important thing is really just find a team, spend the work up front. You know, everybody talks about passive income and passive income is great once it's passive, but it takes people don't understand how many hours it takes up front to set up a passive income cycle. So spend the time up front to go and build that passive income cycle and build that team who's going to work for you and make everybody incentivized to make the thing a success and make it a success. And so I just don't think enough people are spending enough time building that team. They're kind of taking the first person that says yes. Um, and they, they not, may not be the, the right person. So, you know, yeah. what I did to find like the right property management company is I booked a flight to Cleveland four weeks out and then I had four weeks to pretty much set up meetings. So I was there for five days and I met with a new property management company every single day on the flight home. I decided which property management company I was going to work with. And I've been using that, those guys ever since. That's awesome, man. Any advice or anything you would recommend investors looking for other markets, like what to ask and how to figure out what's the right partnership going to be? Yeah. So I always found companies or people that were looking to grow their business, right? So like if you go and like call a property management company, they manage 3000 doors uh, and the guy's like 80 years old who owns the company and that's who you're meeting with and, you know, may not be the right person for you if you're looking to go from zero houses a month to 10 houses a month, right? He's not going to be very interested or inclined, probably not because he already has 3000 doors. He's already making a hundred grand a month passively from his business. He doesn't really care. You know, he's good. He's solid. So what I would find is the guy who had 500 doors or 600 doors, who was hungry, who just started a couple of years ago, but had past experience working for another property management company. And he just started, he has 500 doors, not just started, but you know he's five years in and he's looking to scale his business from 500 units to 5,000 units. And that's what his goal is in 10 years. Yeah. So you come to him and be like, okay, great. Well, how about, you know, you help me, I'll find properties, you help me manage the renovations, and then I'll use you guys for property management looking to just scale this thing and do the burst strategy and looking for properties. And I'll use you guys for property management. It'll help you guys get more doors under management. I just need help getting it from unlivable condition to livable condition so that you and your company can come and rent it out and make that fee. How does that sound? You know, boom. So you want to just find somebody that you can grow with. And, you know, for the property management companies that we've been working with, I mean, they don't even spend money on marketing anymore because we're sending them so many clients and so much business that they turned off their spigot for reaching out to new clients because they can, you know, it's hard for them to already handle the five or 10 new clients that they're getting every month from us, from us referring them over. So, yeah, that's fantastic. How are you guys like financing all these deals? Are you just buying them in cash or using hard money lenders? Yes. Cause you're obviously reselling them pretty quickly. Yeah, so we it's like a three to four month project. We don't I've never used hard money lender. I don't ever plan to. I don't like it. So what we do is we use our own money. We also use a lot of private money. So people come and like fund our projects for us uh, or partner up with us on our projects that they have, for example, like 401k money, IRA funds that are just sitting there in the stock market. We pay them to use their funds to to go and buy properties and renovate them and rent them out and stuff. Yeah. I'm guessing the advantage of that is, you know, less red tape, more reasonable rates and easier to deal with. 
Yeah, it's pretty much the same rate, but there's no points. There's no like other bullshit involved. There's no like very little paperwork. We just sign one document, a promissory note with the investors. And if if it's through their 401k, we have to sign additional paperwork. But yeah, just super easy to work with. People are like understandable or understanding of the issues that do arise, even though they don't really see many of the issues that do come up. They get paid no matter what. But it's just way easier to work with people. I'd also rather pay a family friend for their money in their bank account than pay Joe the billionaire who has a hard money like lending company. You know, it just makes, I'd rather just build this relationship over here. And, you know, if I can have 200 people that are walking marketing pieces that say, Oh yeah, I invest with Antoine. I just gave him the money in my bank account and I make X amount a month. Then, uh, you know, I have 200 walking, uh, (laughs) word of mouth. (laughs) I love that, man. And can we dive in and kind of switch the subject to away from single family into multifamily? Like you said, you've bought 71 units. How did you get your first one? What did that look like? Like, let's unpack that. Sure. So the first deal that we bought was back in 2018 in December. My parents actually sold their house in the Bay Area in like August. So a couple months before that. And so they had they had all this cash and they wanted to invest in something to offset the taxes. So we thought buying a multifamily building in one of our markets would be a good option. So, you know, I had already been kind of planning for it. And uh, for that for that entire year, pretty much, I was networking with realtors and brokers for the multifamily space, seeing if I can get some multifamily property. So I went on LoopNet, pulled every single broker in Memphis and just started calling them, emailing them, texting them and saying, hey, I you know, have a turnkey company. I buy and sell 10 houses a month or five houses a month. I'm looking to buy some multifamily properties in Memphis. Can you help me out? And you know, show them proof of funds, show them money in the bank. And after like nine months of following up with these people, we finally had money in the bank. And then we finally got a deal sent to us. So that deal was a 20-unit building. The rents were like 500 bucks a unit. We ran some numbers. We thought it could get like 750 a month in, in rent if we spent like 10 grand a unit. So ran some numbers, put it under contract, flew to Memphis, had my contractor and me go through the whole property, ran some numbers and we're like, all right, well, this kind of, this makes sense numbers wise. Went to a lender, found a lender that would work with us. We've ended up buying that building for a million bucks, spending around 10 to 12 grand per unit, probably like a hundred grand on exterior. And we were able to increase the rents from seven, from 500 bucks a month to 850 per month for a one bedroom, one bath unit. And, um, that was that first building. We still own it today and we're hopefully going to refinance that building out this year and uh, take some money out of it. That's a phenomenal deal, man. Yeah. Like just, you almost increased the rent, what, like 40 something percent? Yeah. 40%. And then, uh, I mean the property value went from like a million to like 2.1 million bucks now. So once we get all those rents up, we're going to go and and refinance it. And, you know, just like that single family home at the very beginning, we're just doing the same thing. Just, with more zeros on the end of it. I love it. And so like going back, you, when you said you mentioned you found a lender who's willing to work with you, was that a traditional like bank with their commercial lending arm or what did that look like? So that was an asset-based lender because we don't have most of these commercial loans. If the loan is under a million bucks, then you can't get like this conventional financing. So it's kind of in this gray area. Yep. Some like local lenders will still do it, but then they want to see like W-2 or they want to see like good solid tax returns for you and your company. We didn't have any of that. So we were just flipping houses and make money with that. We don't have a W-2 or a 1099. Like there's the tax returns are not looking good on paper because we're writing everything off. So 
when we went to these normal banks like Citibank, for example, and tried to buy the property, they said, they said, no, they, they said, we can't do it. You don't have any W2. You can't pay the mortgage if, if the building's not, you know, paying it because your tax returns suck. So we had to go and find an asset based lender, which pretty much means they're going to give you a loan based just on the, the property's cash flow. So they're not going to care about you, your personal income, your personal tax returns, your business tax returns. They don't care. They're just lending money based solely on that asset. Got it. And what, what are some of the asset lenders that you looked at? You don't have to name specifically the one you use. But I'm just curious at who you looked at and maybe some of our listeners might have a deal that would fit for that. Yeah. There's honestly not many of them. I have like a literally a Google spreadsheet with like 50 banks that I called and reached out to. If anybody wants to get the name of the actual lender, just go to Instagram and DM me at Martel Antoine and I can uh, connect you with uh, the person that I use. Perfect. We'll be sure to add that in the notes for the show if anyone wants cool. to just click a link. So you did cool. one deal. You did the value add. Sounds like you crushed it. I mean, you guys went from 500 months to 850. I'm curious on that front yeah. end of purchasing, man. Like, what did that cap rate look like, you know, on its current run rate? Yeah, so its current was around like seven to eight percent. Yeah, when we bought it, so that's like you know really that's good, still a really great high. Deal. Yep, and then we, you know, now it's probably like at a twelve percent cap rate. So we're gonna just go and refinance it back at like a seven percent cap rate, and yeah, man, that's a home run. Are you guys gonna keep it, or do you want to sell it in ten thirty one and something bigger? We're going to plan on doing a refinance actually this year. Okay. So once we get all the rents up, then we're going to do a refinance and go to like a Freddie Mac pretty much and get a conventional loan on that property. Uh, so that's what we're going to, that's what the plan is this year to to go and do that refi. Yeah. And what, tell me about the other like 50 odd units that you have that you've bought recently. What sure. did those look like? So after that, we bought an 11 unit building. Same kind of neighborhood. We bought it for four fifty. Again, increased the rents from four twenty five a month to nine hundred bucks a month. So that one was even Ooh. crazier. Then we just bought a twenty four unit building a couple months ago. So that one, the rents are when we bought it, we're around five hundred bucks a month. We're going to make them eight fifty as well. And then we're also about two months ago. Back in uh, November, we bought a 16 unit right next to this 20 unit that I bought, the first apartment building ever. <laughs> and literally two two doors down, I just called the property management company and said, hey, is, uh, I own the building two doors down. I see your rents are super low. Is there any way I can buy the, the building? I, I own the one two doors over. I was like, hey, I own the building two doors over. Does your, does your owner have any interest in selling the property? Just ask him for a make me move kind of price and I'll, you know, let me see if I can get a deal done here. And they called me back and said, yeah, the owner really loves what you did over there and he's interested in selling for this price. And I was like, okay, how about like, I asked for like, the, the numbers were amazing. So I said, okay, how about like 25 grand or 50 grand less? How does that work? And, um, they pretty much accepted the, <laughs> accepted the offer. And I ended up buying that building a couple months later. And you know, that building, the rents are four fifty, and we're going to make oh them just like the one two doors down, which yeah. is eight fifty. And you've got a perfect blueprint to run, run with. That's exactly. awesome. What are some of the things you're doing to add value to the property? I know you mentioned 10 K a unit on that first deal and some exterior yep. work. What are some of those major things that you're able to increase that rent on? Yeah. So the biggest thing is in, is the interior stuff. So that's like 10 to 13 grand a unit. So tile flooring for mica, 
painting all new cabinets or putting in all new cabinets, etc. Exterior, new handrails, new roof if it needs it, uh, new striping, paint, everything. Yeah. For example, one building had like these ugly balconies. We made them really pretty and stuff like that. Exterior lighting, like floodlights, and then also lights um, on each unit, like right next to the door. So like key lighting or Mm -hmm. night lighting, whatever you want to call it. Uh, New signage, new parking lot, new striping, all that kind of stuff. So all of those things normally cost anywhere from like 100 to 150 grand to do all that kind of stuff on the exterior. And then on the interior, around 10 to 20, 10 to 15 grand a unit. Yeah. And out of curiosity, you said tile. Why tile over like a luxury vinyl type floor? Yeah. Good question. So we spend the extra money on the tile because it's easier to, when the tenant turns over to go and like, if any tiles are cracked, then you can just go and replace that one tile. It's really easy. There's a, you spend the money up front, but in the long term, I mean, if the tenant didn't destroy the walls or the paint, then you don't even need to paint and all the floors are in good shape. You can literally go in there and just mop the floors and the unit's ready to go. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I get it. Why tile? That makes a lot of sense when you say that. Because obviously with the vinyl plank, if there's a piece messed up, you got to remove it all the way from one side of the wall. Yep. Which can be costly. Yep. Um, okay, awesome. And so like, how have you been able to find some of these, you know, mid-sized multifamily deals that are severely under market rent do they just come to you like that like a lot of deals i see come across my desks they're already pushing you know where the market's at how are you finding the ones that have yet to you know be done the value play on yeah so i would just say broker relationships just to get started so literally going on loopnet finding every single broker in your market and just building that relationship with them and you know, you have to use something to build extra rapport. So whether that's the money in the bank account or the amount of deals you've done in the past, you just got to find something that you can use as leverage to, you know, get in their get in their phone book. Yeah. And so you're doing in the multifamily world, like smaller deals now. I mean, still big for the average investor. Yeah. yeah. When you are you looking to go larger and start buying, you know, 100, 200 unit deals? Not yet. The reason why we've been buying so many units was just because these deals kept coming up in this one zip code in Memphis that I'm in love with. Um, and I think it's going to be like the next place to move to yeah. in the next 10 years or so. Once Nashville blows up, this is going to be the the spot. So I'm buying just as much as I can in this one neighborhood. This one neighborhood doesn't have any large buildings like that. So there's no 100 unit building, 200 unit building in this zip code. We have a 40 unit building under contract there right now, but, and that's like one of the biggest buildings that I've seen in this entire area. So, yeah, that makes sense. You just love this area and you're buying everything there. Exactly. Oh, so you know, like the 20 unit, right? Yeah. The first building, and then two doors down, the 16 unit. Yeah. And then now, two, one block north, two blocks north, I have the 40 unit. So, like, oh man, your property manager like- has to love you for that. makes their job a whole lot easier that's for sure yeah i mean you almost have economies of scale there where you can have an on-site manager at the larger one and then say like hey go in there and sign a lease pay rent ask questions whatever exactly yep that's fantastic man so before we sign off here like i a couple things one we're gonna jump into a rapid fire round and then after that i'd like to give you some time to chat about your book and podcast and also the turnkey investing side cool Awesome. So rapid fire. You got 30 seconds to answer each question. You ready? All right. What's your favorite way to source deals? Probably pocket listings from realtors. Favorite market to invest in? Cleveland, Ohio. 
What's the book you most often give to others after you give them your book? <sighs> a book by it's called Sell It Like Sir Hant. Oh yeah, the NYC agent. Yep. Awesome. Uh, what's your go-to really resource like for learning more about real estate and investing? Like where do you find yourself learning the most from? Bigger pockets and then networking events. Awesome, man. This has been absolutely awesome. Tell our listeners about the Martell Turnkey investing business and if they are interested and how they can get involved in that and then also about the uh, book you recently published. Awesome, man. Yeah, so martellturnkey.com, that's the website. If you're interested in buying turnkey rentals or just want to get your feet at, feet wet in out-of-state turnkey rentals, then feel free to go there. You can even book a phone call with me up on the site. I have a book. It's called A Millennial's Guide A Millennial's Guide to Investing in Cash-Flowing Rental Properties. You can check that out on Amazon. Just search my name, Antoine Martel. You can also go and get the book for free. Just go to free.martellantoine.com. I also have a podcast. It's A Millennial's Guide to Real Estate Investing. We just interview people who are millennials who are killing it in real estate investing. And then I would also recommend following me on Instagram. I post a lot of free content up there. There's no sales pitch. There's no Lamborghinis or private jets. It's all just uh, information about how to get started in real estate investing. So you can check me out there at Martel Antoine. Perfect, man. I appreciate your time. Definitely recommend everyone to check out his Instagram. It's awesome. Like there's no fluff. It's just real estate. Him in like a sweatshirt in front of the camera. (laughs) It's just like low key, just the good stuff, man. It's awesome. So thanks for your time, man. What's up? (laughs) That's what I'm wearing right now. (laughs) Doesn't surprise me, man. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Who Knows Real Estate. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and check out our show notes for the guest contact info as well as ours. Be sure to look for our next episode. Thanks.